Hello and welcome to episode 168 of NCP. My name is David, and <laughs> we're the NCP crew. Richard. Hello. Luke. Um, yeah, hi. Sorry, got thrown a bit there. Off the world. <laughs> Hello. Hello. You know, that was possibly the most generic opening we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was, yeah, hi, hi, hi. And that was it. <laughs> it's, the end of, it's the end of the year. It's been a long yeah, year. We're winding down. We're winding down. <laughs> That's fair. We're point. all stuffed. That's what it is. Well, you do look very tired. Are you, very are you okay? Tired. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, as you can all hear, I am uh, a little under the weather. Not be, not for any major reasons, just, you know, working in... You know, pool crud. In pool crud. Have we mentioned what you do for a living or do you, do you not want to do it? Or? I've got no problem. mentioned before? Yeah. yeah. So you're a swimming instructor. Yeah. Teaching our young kitties safety in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, that sounds what? a bit dodgy. Uh, Why does that sound dodgy? No, I'm not saying We live on an no, island. No, no, Every no. single Australian should know I'm how to swim. Saying, no, sorry, my, my laughter is not because it sounds dodgy. It's the assumption that I'm teaching them how to survive. Well, that's what you're being paid to do, whether what you're I'm doing it or not. Do, yes. I I'm not. I haven't been privy. Well, well I actually have been at the centre when you were sw- mm. when you were teaching, and you look pretty professional to me. Well, I, you weren't smacking I, anybody. No, I can, I can I can honestly say I haven't lost a kid. So yeah, well, there you go. See, it's more like they're trying to prevent them from actually weeing in the pool. Yeah, can't stop. That. <laughs> How often does that happen? It happens more often than you than you think. <laughs> That's this, what the this is why example. he sounds the way he sounds. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> the safety of our children is important. They oh, are our future. Not denying that at all. Yeah, yeah. You believe the children are our future? I do. Treat them well, let them lead the way. Yeah, I don't know. I've been reading Starship Troopers. So I don't think we've treated them well. <laughs> anyway, no Starship Troopers this episode. For this episode, we have reviews. It's a review special. And also the triumphant return of Factor Foe. Yay! Foe, foe, foe. You were meant to do that for me. You just yayed. Let down the team. After the last episode, triumphant fire crinkling stuff. What? Yeah, I, that's that's the extent of my folly skills. Last, last episode, uh, Crystal was, uh, was the folly expert because we were doing a uh, sitting around a campfire Halloween special. So we're, trying, we're pretending we're sitting around a campfire telling stories and she nice. had just basically just to, to do the campfire she's had a piece of paper and she was like and it worked it worked nice it was good I don't know if the episode was any good <laughs> that it was cool I, well, I wasn't on it so it couldn't be that good that's, well that's true <laughs> there you go I should have bit back but no that's true you're awesome yeah. that's true yeah. Uh, so yeah so uh, lots of reviews for this episode we've got uh, I'm not even going to introduce the reviews I'm just going to introduce the person and they can introduce the review and actually do the review how's that that's laziness 101 <laughs> first up we've got Richo oh that's right you're not actually introducing anything <laughs> sorry I was waiting for the uh, time with the program oh mister oh yeah I'm in my own little world <laughs> yeah but now I'm, um, I'm not <laughs> I am reviewing uh, the mask of the red death the 1964 Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe, Vincent Price movie. Now, we actually, we did our Vincent Price show a little while back, and because, as you would have discovered from that show, we love Vincent. Vincent is the man. And um, I, I personally have a massive love of these uh, these Roger Corman, Vincent they Price, awesome. Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Um, but the one I hadn't seen was The Mask of the Red Death. And um, as... You know, Luke and I have a Halloween tradition where we get together and just watch old horror movies every Halloween. Yeah, cool. And fortunately, he managed to actually, you know, procure a copy for us to watch. And uh, yeah, I must admit, I was pretty excited about that. We actually ended up making it an all Vincent Price uh, Halloween, actually. Yep. 
Really? Yeah. Yep. That's pretty Man, sweet. Last Man on Earth, Mask of the Red Death, and um, The, the Abominable Dr. Fibes. Yeah. Nice. Man, I love yep. Dr. Fibes. Dr. Fibes <laughs> is great. Yeah. Cool. No, Dr. Fibes is awesome. But that's not what this review is about. <laughs> this review is about The Mask of the Red Death. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan, and I must admit, I've always been a little bit dubious about this one, because The Mask of the Red Death story is four pages long. Yeah. And I thought... How exactly can you translate that into, you know, a 90-minute film? Fortunately, Roger Corman has Charles Beaumont writing his screenplay. Now, for those of you who don't know, Charles Beaumont is an absolute legend in my mind. He's one of the Twilight Zone writers, Mm. one of the the mainstays um, of the Twilight Zone. And so when I saw that he was actually the screenwriter, I actually thought, "Eh, I reckon he could do this. And he did. Because this film is, quite frankly, awesome. And for me, one of the absolute best of the Poe adaptations. I'd put it up there with um, with uh, The Fall of the House of Usher, as far as Corman's efforts go. Uh, the story centres around uh, Prince Prospero, played by Vincent Price, who is, of course, a Satanist. <laughs> he, uh, as a complete tyrant, he's, like, he's, he's a monster. Like he he has he takes great joy in just tormenting, killing, um, embarrassing, insulting. Like it's everything, everything bad he'll do. He gives Satanists a bad name. He does give the Satanists a bad name. Um, so in in this story though, he's um, he's kind of secluded himself and um, a group of the aristocracy um, and the nobility away in his castle up in the mountains. Uh, because uh, a plague known as the Red Death is sweeping through through the countryside. He takes with him uh, a girl from the village, played by Jane Asher. Um, for those of you who are interested in this kind of pop culture sort of thing, Jane Asher is pretty famous for being um, Paul McCartney's fiance during the height of the Beatles period. And, um, and what, they break up eventually? Doesn't he marry Linda McCartney? Yeah, they do break up. Oh. <laughs> they do break <laughs> up. Very Linda Eastman. Linda Eastman, yeah. Yeah. We're not getting into the Beatles genealogy, we're getting into Edgar Allan Poe. That's right. But this is 64, so you're still in that, you know, like, Beatlemania is sweeping the world at this point. Oh, okay, I gotcha. um, She was disposed of, Linda. So he takes takes, uh, this this village girl up into his castle and attempts to slowly but surely corrupt her in anticipation of eventually potentially sacrificing her to Satan. As you do. He has with him... Um, Wait, uh, why would you corrupt her to sacrifice the Satan? Wouldn't you want her as innocent and well, pure as possible? because that's the kind of guy that he is. Oh, okay. Well, who am I to question Beaumont? Exactly. Um, Prospero also has with him Juliana, uh, played by Hazel Court, who is a bit of a Hammer Horrors uh, mainstay. And she is... Um, she is Prospero's mistress, wife... It's not really... But more importantly, though... Um, she is his um, apprentice. So she's also in the Satan way, uh, so to speak. I sort of saw her as uh, the analogy of Clea and mm. Doctor Strange. Yeah. It's never really yeah. explained. No, no, no. But she, she does a lot of... I love Satan. So anyway, so up in his castle, whilst everybody is dying down below, Prospero and his, his the nobility he has with him, basically they just get out to a bit of good old-fashioned debauchery. Well, it's not implicitly shown, uh, it is implied that anything goes up in this castle. and uh, But everybody needs to remember at all times that they're there at uh, Prospero's whim. And um, 
Yeah, there are a couple of things. There's a, there's a, there's a great scene where uh, where two of the nobility show up late, and so he shoots him with arrows just because you know he can. <laughs> so there there is a, a subplot, and this is once again goes back to I think to Charles Beaumont just being awesome. Um, he actually adapts another Poe story called Hop Frog um, into this as well, mm. uh, in order to flesh it out. And that's a story involving um, uh, like two little people dancers and entertainers and one of the nobility who is tormenting them who gets a rather horrible end at the hands of uh, Hop Frog himself um, but adds a really, really interesting um, sort of subplot to the story. Eventually, it, this all culminates in a uh, masquerade ball that uh, Prospero holds with the proviso that nobody is to dress in red and... Um, Obviously, the Red Death shows up um, in a, the absolute classic scene from the book that was also then adapted into um, The Phantom of the Opera as well when he shows up as, as the masquerade ball dressed as the Red Death. So it's a very famous scene and, um, and it's brilliantly done here. Um, and he basically shows up and kills everybody. There's a Mr. Death. <laughs> there is a Mr. Death. <laughs> and in a little epilogue, you actually get to see um, that um, the Red Death is actually one of many servants. There's a Black Death and a Blue Death and, and so on as well. So it's like all these deaths just going around killing people during the plague years. It's it's beautifully directed, this film. And um, a lot of credit to um, has to go to Nicholas Roeg as the cinematographer. Um, he's a little bit more famous later on for uh, as a director for directing films like Don't Look Now... Uh, Walkabout and The Man Who Fell to Earth. And Performer. And Performance, yeah. 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 Um, but his cinematography is incredible in this film. Um, and the production design as well. There's wonderful use of colour. Um, there are sequences of different coloured rooms um, leading you through into uh, the black room, which is where you, you go to worship Satan, that represents certain stages of, um, I guess, corruption of the soul and things, including a white room for purity before you get to that. Um, and then, of course, they offset all of that with be- the beautiful use of the red. And in fact, there, there is literally no red in this film except for the red death. And so all of that adds to um, uh, just to the atmosphere of the film, mm. um, and it has a beautiful mystique about it. And Vincent Price is at his absolute best here. Just mm. he's he's always at his best when he's just playing the most despicable of people. And Prospero just has literally no redeeming features whatsoever. <laughs> you want him to die. You do. You want you, you want you want him to die. And the more the film goes along, as much as it's it's great because you you absolutely revel in Vincent Price's performance even though you do want him to be dead um but yeah this was an absolutely brilliant film i loved it and i would give it four and a half looks yeah and this is one of those one of those one of the shows that corman can actually make films instead well, of the cheap always... knockoffs that you know he did around all yeah. this stuff he's he's i think he's always at his best when he was doing the power mm. stuff like he really treats the those stories with a lot of respect mm. and i think it just goes all out mm. um and obviously finding vincent price to fulfill because vincent price is just the living embodiment of a poe character really like yes. <laughs> it's just it, like the, all, all of those sort of um you know dodgy poe characters the immoral ones and everything he just that's just his forte as an actor so yeah great stuff cool thanks man on to luke um, okay, I'm going to review a couple of episodes of recent uh, comic book-related television. 
um, uh, the recent super episode, recent episodes of Supergirl, um, which has just started on CBS, and the latest issue, latest episode of Green Arrow. So we'll start with Supergirl first, and I'll probably talk a little bit about the pilot as well, just for those of you who haven't um, seen it yet. Although when it was officially leaked, um, quote unquote, um, online, what the hell were you doing? <laughs> I actually reviewed the pilot back when it was. Oh, did you? It was supposedly leaked. What did you give it? I actually don't think I gave it a rating, but uh, I I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Big fan. And my my review follows really on from that. The Supergirl series follows the adventures of Cara Danvers as um, assistant to uh, Cat Grant working for... I forget. Actually, forget the name of um, Cat Grant's um, newspaper. Cat, um, Cat Co. or something was yeah. the company's name. Yeah. Um, uh, as an assistant to Cat to Cat Grant, played by um, played very well by Callista Flockhart, I actually think um, realizes that you know during a, an emergency where a plane is about to collapse, where a plane is about to um, dive headfirst into the into um, National City's uh, CBD, um, realizes that she's got to um, save it. And like her cousin Superman, who does exist in this universe, and she is fully aware of her Kryptonian heritage, um, reveals herself to the world. And from there, begins to um, adopt the uh, super persona of the House of L and becomes Supergirl in this um, in the television universe. Um, what she through her through her interactions with her sister and her emerging uh, superhero persona, she attracts the attention of the DEO, which stands for the Department of Extranormal Operations, who begin to take her on board as a an alien um, a consultant, if you will, to um, help fight the um, the tyranny of alien scourges that you know is going to descend upon Earth, um, which she agrees to at first, but in both the pilot and in this episode, begins to sort of question. Um, the DEO's overall operation and her their role for her within that. Um, there are some you know some teething problems. There are some uh, some plotting I think that could just be worked out. I think it was a mistake in this episode. She meets um, General Astra, who is her aunt, and I thought too it was, early. And I thought it was a mistake to um, yeah. reveal that to, to have them confront one another this early in the season. Yes, yeah. there is a um, there is still a mysterious Kryptonian bad guy. And there are Kryptonians on this world, uh, on, on this Earth. Um, Kryptonian, a mysterious Kryptonian bad guy still behind the scenes as well. Um, but, you know, the, um, the meeting between the aunt and, um, and the niece probably should have held off for at least a couple more episodes before, um, so you get more of an impact on, on um, Kara herself. But also you don't want to suddenly inundate this Earth with... Kryptonians or superpowered beings, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Allow, allow it to filter through. Also, um, the choreography, some of the of the aerial fights, which they've wor- which they've worked out on Arrow and the Flash, um, still need to be um, uh, worked out and choreographed so they get a sense of what really is dynamic on screen. Mm. Having said that, um, Melissa Melissa Benoit is a wonderful um, addition to the the um, the super super universe. It's like they've learned the best lessons from. Um, the best lessons from uh, the Wonder Woman pilot and what's currently going on with Superman, in which, which she's not, you know, a fabulous, gorgeous, um, hot to trot person who's pretending to be a geeky person mm. like they do in um, in the Wonder Woman pilot. Um, she is in fact um, she is in fact down to earth, um, a little bit demure to start off with, and then emerges later when she becomes Supergirl, but doesn't. You know, just suddenly become fabulous and gorgeous right off the offset, right off the out- outset. And the nice thing about the pilot and this episode is you actually see her make mistakes. 
um, and actually have to go, she can't do what her cousin does, um, and, you know, start off small, gain some experience that way, work out what her powers can do, what her limits are, and then go beyond, um, go beyond from that. Um, so you actually do get a sense of the hero having to learn, which they've already done in things like The Flash, granted, but it's actually nice to see it done from someone who's actually all-powerful, mm. rather than someone whose powers are emerging. Um, yeah, they, they, they very much do play up the fact that the Kryptonians are the, the ultimate, mm. um, with the, you know, the bad guys, and the, the ultimate evil, essentially, yeah. that she, because she landed later, yeah, and they're, they're so used to seeing Superman doing what he does. does. They just automatically expect that she can do the same sort of thing. Yeah, because she, I mean, she's wearing the S. Yeah, and, and but there's a, and there's a nice there's a couple of nice scenes where they actually do try and point out that Superman made mistakes. Hmm. And then Calista Flockhart, Cat Grant actually shoots that down in actually a very smart um, speech she makes where um, she says, "No, that's that's irrelevant. Hmm. This is what she actually needs to do. You know, it's as women, it's harder for us. Hmm. We've actually got to work twice as hard." Um, you know, when we make mistakes, um, you know, it's not pat on the head, you're all forgiven, it's no bad person, and you, we've actually got to do this, and she should think smaller, mm. and then work her way up, you know, and then she points out that, you know, like you, Kara, before, you know, not making the connection between Kara and Supergirl, um, and it's actually just a very, you know, for someone who's actually superficial and shallow, um, a very smart, very intuitive um, response. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious that she's not superficial and shallow. No, as in that's the persona that she, you know, yeah. she's doing the Meryl the Streep. The one that she creates. Yeah, it's yeah. the Meryl Streep persona um, from yeah. The Devil Wears Prada. It's just that, you know, like the, like in that film as well, hmm. you know, Meryl Streep is actually very, her character is actually very smart and very um, switched on to what's going on around her. Hmm. Do they continue to only refer to Superman as the cousin? They, they still don't no, mention that. No, they, 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 they do actually call him Superman in this. Okay, because that yeah. got a bit weird in the pilot. Yeah, I think that was to do with um, um, ironing out the legalities, out some of the legalities and the rights. Yeah. So you, we're probably never going to see Superman in the show. Yeah. Um, but they can probably now start saying, "Yeah, Superman is the cousin." Yeah. It was one final point. Um, the nice, the, the but what I really love about this show is that it's actually giving me what um, the last Man of Steel, what Man of Steel didn't give me, and what the comics are not giving me, which is the sense of inspiration that someone wearing the S is meant to give. Yeah. Um, that it's not about someone with awesome powers doing, you know, going around beating up villains or having, you know, existential crises. It's about someone with um, great powers actually realizing that they have a greater responsibility, maybe, and that their job is not to go around and, you know, use their powers for whatever purpose they see fit, it's to use their powers for the betterment of mankind. Yeah. And that the right choice, whilst the right choice might not always be the easy choice, the right choice is always the one that has to be made mm. um, for the greater good. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I, re- that I really, really liked is, is they change what the S means. Mm. So in the, in the TV, in the movie, in the Man of Steel movie version, which it, it's, it stands for hope apparently, mm. but in this she, she says that it's actually uh, the... the the crest, of, the crest of the house of the owl, oh, and, and it has some sort of motto, right? Yeah, it's to get together we're strong. Together we're strong. Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, and what, but what I really liked about it is that her attitude is much more the the super the super being that we're sort of, sort of we, we we wanted we mm. wanted Superman to be man yeah. still like so he's meant to be about hope, mm. but he's actually not. He's all about he's all about whinging and mm. you know being all emo. Whereas this Supergirl is actually all about hope. Yeah, I mean she mm. smiles and she she's she's a bright, actually, she's she a, tries. She's a bright and public character. She wants to help and mm. she enjoys being Supergirl. Yeah, she so. enjoys it. 
Yeah, yeah it's just uh, it's interesting. It's, it's amazing that this show, not forgetting Supergirl for a moment, mm. this show does a better job of showing Superman mm. without than the movie did and, and you don't even see Superman yeah, yeah. like just through people's stories about Superman and the general impression you get of who Superman is mm. from this show yeah you get a much better sense of what Superman should be about than what the actual Superman yeah. movie did I mean I'm with you yeah. there's, some, there's some teething problems right there's some things that sort of yeah. need to be tightened up a yeah. bit that I just I, I love it there's it's, some, it's a great addition I think there was uh, there's probably a little bit too much exposition at the moment yeah. and I'm hoping that that will once they've brought everybody up to speed I'm hoping that that will um that will sort of fade off a little bit. Mm. Um, the one thing I did, I do appreciate here is Supergirl, you know, should be a role model for, for, for young girls. Mm. Right? And this show is clearly trying to do that, trying to create a role model, mm. but they're not shying away from, from that. They're actually telling us that she, that's what she wants to be. She wants to be a role model for girls. Mm. And I think the speech with Cat Grant about women and, mm. and what women have to go through in the workplace, I think plays into all of that as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that they're not shying away from that mm. or trying to be subtle about it. I'm glad that she's like, look, I want to do this. I want to inspire people and I want to inspire women, you know, mm. and, and, you know, it, it's so rare to see that, um, in shows, even the shows that are trying to do that often don't, won't mm. state that, but it's such a Superman thing to do mm. and a Supergirl thing to do. Mm. Um, yeah. Plus, Cameron Chase is coming, mm. and they've cast Emma Caulfield as Cameron Chase, which I think is pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, quite like the the Hank Henshaw eye glow at the yeah. end. There. Yeah, that was cool. a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, and come on, there, are, there are some, you know, <laughs> um, uh, throwaways to a wider universe that because this is done by Balanti and Kreisberg that yeah. they like to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I will continue to watch Supergirl now. Yeah. Um, for the rest of the run, um, and I give the, I give um, Supergirl overall three looks, um, but with the possibility that you know it could become greater later on. Yeah, I think I, I don't remember rating it, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I didn't actually because I didn't think it was fair because it was just a elite pilot at the time yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, so I'll wait until I see like the whole thing. But well, those those teething problems I think are a lot like what you see in the earliest episodes mm. of Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Where it took about six or so six or seven episodes for it to really work out what it was. And I get the feeling Supergirl's going to have that as mm. well. That's also a great error. Yes, um, speaking of Arrow and one of its teething problems in those early episodes, which continues to this day. Um, uh, yeah, so the latest, latest episode of Arrow. So we're in season four at the moment. Um, Ollie has just come back from his self-imposed um, uh, sabbatical um, in an attempt to help the crew and has worked out you know, the, the issues that he's had with um, John Diggle and the others about you know his time with the League of Assassins and his, his now return... And one of the main, one of the previous characters, um, Sarah Lance, has now been resurrected um, in Lazarus Pit and brought back to life. Previously chained by her sister in a basement um, uh, under her sister's under Laurel Lance's um, apartment building, she has now broken free and is attempting to kill Thea because Thea had Thea was the one who killed her in the first place. If you don't, if you, if that, is that I, not a spoiler, is it? That's not a spoiler. That happens in season three. Okay. It's the driving force behind The fact that she's being resurrected <coughs> happens in season three? What? No, no, no. She's been resurrected in previous episodes of it. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, they're... Does Thea become speedy yet? Thea yeah, I, don't watch, I don't watch this show. I actually, Thea, I actually can't stand there at all. Thea, Thea is now speedy. Right. Okay. Um, is now officially... She's now, she wants to be called the Red Arrow, but she's now um, one of uh, Team Arrow's uh, go-to people. So um, she's, got, she's got a bow and arrow? Yep. Everybody in this universe is a master archer. Is that what you're saying? Well, she's been trained There's by... There's like five different archers. We have she actually. was trained by Malcolm Merlin, though, so, yeah. you know. Ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, no, and so 
the Team Arrow has to go to um, great lengths to try. Really, that though, Team Arrow. Well, that's what they call themselves. So they call it the Arrow Cave. No, but they do. Have, they do have a funky brand new Arrow Cave. It's either here or there, though. Um, and so they, you know, try and track uh, Sarah, the um, Sarah Lance now down, who's um, going through the crazy stuff that you would imagine okay, coming right. out of the Lazarus Pit. Is she the one that eventually joins the Heroes of yes. Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. So she goes past that crazy yes. period. Right, um, that makes sense. And you know, they all realise that. Um, uh, that it's not just bringing her back. They need to do uh, a couple of other things as well um, mm-hmm. to do with her soul. Uh, you've, with all this, you've got to put up with um, the most annoying character on the show, which is Laurel Lance, without a doubt. Every time Laurel Lance speak, spoke in this episode, all I did was just put on a whingy voice. You know. Yeah. So which one's actually Black Canary? Laurel Lance... Okay. Laurel Lance is you know meant to be the Diana Lance of this universe. Her sister Sarah... Um, was the first Black Canary. And then she died. And then she gets murdered. Okay. And Laurel, going through an existential emo crisis, um, becomes the Black Canary, becomes the current Black Canary. Does she have a screen power? Yes, she does. But okay. it's not a power, it's um, a, device. a device. Okay, right. That That's, she uses. Yeah, Cisco, Cisco from The Flash actually helps mm. design it for her. Oh, that happens in The yeah. Flash. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they talk about and, it. Right. And okay, in a yeah. cool thing, it seems to me, she does get trained by Wildcat as well right. on how to um, fight. So that's awesome. pretty cool. And you've got to put up with all of Laurel's nonsense just justifications for bringing Sarah back, in spite of the fact that Ollie quite clearly states, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, and they actually do point to Thea and say, yeah, look, we might have made a mistake there. Is Thea um, brought back as well? Thea... I'm trying to catch her last like, four seasons. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I'll stop interrupting. Thea was brought back last season. Right, just, just last say what you had to say, and then okay. we'll, we'll move on, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> so you have... In a, but, you know, you've got to put up with, you know, all the annoying stuff that continues to plague Arrow, which is effectively one character. Right. However, here's the real reason why you're watching this, why you're watching this episode in particular. Right. Yeah. In order for them to get... In order for them to make Sarah whole again... They've actually got to go and get her soul. There is only one man that they call, that they, that Oliver calls on, can call on it's got to, be, to do that. It's got to be Constantine, surely. And enter John Constantine, played by Matt Ryan. That's awesome. Yeah. Automatically, we, we all knew this episode was coming. And as soon as he appears, because he appears in the flashback. Right. So Ollie's met him previously on Lian Yu, the island that he's stranded on. Um, so the, was, this island in the middle of nowhere that everybody seems to go to. Uh, but, but Constantine actually does give, not necessarily an explanation, but he does say the island is kind of like a, a nexus point that draws people to uh, it. I see. Yeah, so, you know, so, one yeah. of the ley lines and things like that. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, we get, we get, you know, effectively in this episode, the best thing about the Constantine show, which was Matt Ryan playing John Constantine. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as he appears... It's, yeah, this is what John Constantine should be about. It's almost, I sat there going, okay, can we get rid of Laurel? Mm. And can we just keep Matt Ryan? Because he's far more interesting. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we actually worked out, watching the episode, we worked out a trading system yeah. where if a new character comes in and they're better, you can trade Laurel out. <laughs> um, Ultimate, ultimately, look, the episode is probably a little bit flat because it does try to rush through, um, rush an ending through on a storyline that's been got, occurring for about three or four episodes now. Gotcha. Um... In the in in the attempt to try and set up um, uh, Katie Lotz, who plays Sarah Lance for um, Heroes. Uh, Heroes of Tomorrow, yeah, sorry, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but I probably would have kept because there's um, some mystical stuff going on in the wider Arrow universe with Damien Dark. Um, I probably would have kept John Constantine around for a little bit longer, not mm. have him just rush off, not have him rush off in this episode. Maybe do some paranormal investigating for an episode or two, then go away before he comes back again. Um, 
I disagree. Never really see Constantine as a character, though. He's more of a sort of a he arrives in town, he does what he has to do, he gets the hell out. Yeah, that I'd agree with that. Also, I think um, Matt Ryan's performance as Constantine is so good mm. that I he could actually like just dominate the show. Yeah, he'd um, steal the show. I, I think mm. I think bring him in for an episode. They've mm. established that he he can come back at any time. That's right. Just bring him back later. And uh, yeah, bring him back later on when the Damien Dark stuff picks up again. Mm. Yeah, def- that's how I'd do it. So I'd, I'd, cool. I mean, I agree with you that they did rush it a little bit. Yeah. But I think just the one episode for now is, mm. is the way to go. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, though. Ultimately, the op- episode is probably, without John Constantine, probably about a three. Um, with John Constantine, it's a four. <laughs> awesome. I'm still not going to watch the show. That's, no, that's fair enough. It's something not, not about that show just irks me. The really, team, really the, there is still a team melodrama sensibility to it that... Yeah. Does uh, that does draw away from the attempts to be a bit darker? Yeah, um, I think the Flash is a far superior effort. Yeah, Flash. But is even Flash has its melodrama. Oh, it does. I, I'm not, I'm not anti melodrama. Where would you have drama without melodrama? But I just, you know, I'm just saying it's just, it's just too much of it. Mm. That's that's it's, it's it's sliding into Smallville territory, and I couldn't stand that. Show. Mm. So it's whereas the Flash is, is seems to be the perfect sort of balance of it. Yeah. I mean, he still has his love life crises, yeah. and you know, he still pines after. You know, it's, 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 but that's all stuff. Yeah, that it's, it's sort of stuff. It all kind of makes it. I do find it kind of weird that that in the latest, in the, la- the very latest episode, um, Caitlin kisses Earth Two Flash. Yep. Mm. And I'm like, your husband just died like seriously, like six uh, months ago. What's yeah, but on? I mean, you know, like this is this is Earth Two Flash we're talking about. <laughs> he, is, here. he is pretty huggy, and Earth Two Flash is awesome, <laughs> and he is he's a handsome man. Yeah, so. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just I just I thought it was a bit weird. So, so if if you die, how long do I have to wait before I can kiss someone else? Never. Well, I'll Forever. be here, I'll be here two days later. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, that means on the I'm my, saying at the funeral. my review, how to kill a best friend. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. So I just want you to be happy. Oh, cool. So then, uh, let's finish up with the review section with mine, uh, and uh, I'm reviewing Video Nasties. I think its full title is. Video Nasties, Moral Panic, Censorship, and Videotape, which is a documentary, funnily enough, of the Video Nasties scare uh, in the, the late 70s uh, in England. Um, well, it started in England, sort of spread around a little bit, but basically what it was is uh, at the advent of the VHS period, uh, when VHS was then, was then became available for home rental and uh, for purchase, um, horror movies, uh, some well, certain horror movies took advantage of that with uh, these ridiculously over-the-top, lurid covers, um, which sometimes didn't even represent what was in the film, but, you know, as, as, as over-the-top as you could possibly get in order to sort of track the eye. And that's, you know, that's, per- that's perfectly natural. That's capitalism at its finest. So you had to attract the eye of your shopper. Uh, but uh, some people, uh, they, they felt that that then represented what was in the film itself and that then uh, they needed to then protect the children <laughs> from... From uh, the the events of these films, because there were there was no um, uh, there wasn't a, a proper certification uh, set set up at that point. So it's, uh, films and you know basically everything now is sort of is rated is given a rating of some kind um, in order to sort of give the parent an idea of what is suitable to watch. And uh, that didn't exist really at that point. And it, it, even it did it in sort of its in its beta form, and it was uh, 
pretty ordinary. So you could essentially, a 10-year-old child could and did go in and rent the, these films and it sort of become a bit of a rite of passage for the kids uh, where they would rent, you know, this, the most gruesome horror film they could possibly could and, you know, sit around and watch it and dare each other not to close their eyes and all that sort of stuff, which I found interesting considering that Doctor Who, people quite often would say they would watch Doctor Who would hide behind the couch mm. because they were scared of the Daleks and stuff. This, these sort of these films had things that would make Daleks run away. Mm. <laughs> it was pretty pretty horrific sort of stuff. But you know, they, having said that, surely you know whatever shopkeeper was, um, you know, renting these th- these films out would have gone. No, are you serious? Money talks, <laughs> morals walk. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, so people got so certain people got involved as specifically uh, Mary Whitehouse. And my uh, favourite. <laughs> I, I love Mary Whitehouse. She's awesome. I learned something from this documentary that I never knew before. Uh, what was the thing? The Mary, Mary Whitehouse experience. Yeah, the Mary Whitehouse experience. Yeah, cool. um, but also, I also learned that there was a porn mag created called Whitehouse, specifically just to tweak her nose. <laughs> like, you didn't have any pictures of her in it, obviously, because, you know, she doesn't do porn. But just just the name alone, I just, I just thought that was hilarious. Anyway, um... <laughs> So this documentary, um, yeah. So it's uh, so yeah. So Mary Whitehouse got involved. She uh, got the ear of uh, of a certain politician, which I can't remember his name at the moment. But um, and then so they led sort of led a charge. They even got they got to the ear of the Queen, uh, Margaret Thatcher, the PM, was a big fan of Mary Whitehouse, as I'm sure he could figure out. And uh, they sort of they strove to uh, sort of get these things off the shelf. And it, and it just became it became hysteria. It, it really it became a, a, quite ridiculous. They created a list of uh, 72 titles there. So there's 72 official video nasties um, of uh, films that you basically weren't allowed, to, weren't allowed to sell. So they would they would actually go, police would go in and raid stores and take these off the shelf and raid warehouses, that sort of stuff. Um, they'd all watch them. Every single tape that they raided had to be watched to make sure that it was actually legally what it was that they were destroying mm. and then destroy them and actually burn them and stuff. Uh, at some point, it got so ridiculous. They actually even, they even took uh, the big red one off the shelf because I assumed it was some sort of it was a reference to uh, a penis or some or something. But it's actually a war film. Um, they, they at one point even took off the shelves the best little whorehouse in Texas, which is a musical comedy starring <laughs> Burt Reynolds. So you know, what the hell? Horror in the title because it had horror in the title. But so there were seventy-two actual. Um, you know, official video nasties, and I won't go through all every single title, but um, they they included such uh, classics of the of the genre, which I'm sure Richard is going to have a reaction at the moment. Yes. Called uh, "I Spit on Your Grave," oh. um, which, to be fair, probably deserved it. Um, but also some other things like um, "The Beast in Heat," <laughs> um, "SS Love Camp Number Seven." Um, uh, it just goes on yeah. from there. Zombie horrifying, Island, horrifying experiments of the SS's last days. Yeah. So, um, so uh, the the documentary itself uh, comes in a, a pretty interesting package. It's, it's a three DVD box set, um, which actually but is shaped like a VHS tape, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, it's the disc one is the actual documentary itself, which I'll discuss in a second. And then disc two and three is the titles with all their trailers. So you actually get sort of. You get each, each, all 72 titles are mentioned by various people, um, Kim Newman being one of them, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, the, so they get like a sort of a mini review, and then they actually have to show the, tra- the trailer. Oh no, if they couldn't find the trailer, they have like a TV spot or mm. something like that for it. And that was fascinating. That, this, that took like six hours. I, w- I watched both of them in one day, 
and uh, poor Crystal was also in the room. She couldn't see the screens, but she was doing stuff over to the side. I could she hear was, the screens. Yeah, and she was like, "What the hell are you watching?" Um, and so, so yeah, it was, yeah, it's like six hours of stuff. It was awesome. Some of those trailers went on quite a long time. One of the trailers that went for six minutes. And I'm like, this is insane. I don't need to watch the film now. I've, I've seen the thing. Anyway, but the documentary itself, um, it's kind of hit or miss. It's, it's, it, it starts off with uh, an attempt to sort of uh, replicate the experience of VH, the early VHS. Now, so anybody who's you know, as old as me and has been around for that period, early VHS was a, an experience because um, you, you had a thing called tracking. <laughs> so so oh, quite often the tracking, the tracking would go out. And then, so the more it was, the more it was played... Um, the more damage was actually done to the tape. We used to get this sort of crinkly effect on the, on the either side of the tape, and so you'd have to track it to put it back in, and you know it would be fuzzy, and, and um, quite often with each, I mean with each viewing, uh, it, it actually got worse because the magnetic sort of effect of the keeping the stuff on the tape would lose. And anyway, often often popular rentals from the video rental store would yeah. be um, certain scenes that were obliterated because they're stuck on pause. Yeah, because exactly, <laughs> it would pause. It's uh, the classic. Uh, uh, it pausing because of the nudity and yeah. <laughs> sort of stuff. They say would sort of degrade because it would stretch the tape and they would get dirty and all that sort of stuff. So VHS was was not the greatest format in the world and. Uh, so it, sort of, so it sort of tries to replicate it at the start. So, like, the picture watches out, it gets it sort of tracks and stuff. And although I see I see what they were going for, I actually found it incredibly irritating. <laughs> it's kind of, this is, it doesn't lend anything to, to the... I mean, I'm actually trying to listen to what these people are trying to say, and it would dissolve, would dissolve into static and stuff like that. So that was kind of irritating. Um, a couple of things, other things that it does is it, it does the, uh, the unbelievable camera faux pas of zooming while someone's talking. So it starts from a, sta- a static shot and then zooms into their face which and I'm are, like, what the hell? Which I'm assuming is deliberate as well. I, sh- I also... Because I, a lot of the video nasties were not exactly made by people that I'm were not professional directors. I'm not sure they're there. I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I, I can't say I'm sure it was deliberate. It's, but but it's, it's, a shot, it's a shot that you would see, because yeah, like you, I, I grew up in the era of video nasties and I must admit... My brother and I did go and see some of these films just to see how bad they were. <laughs> and, and most of them were just, yeah, just shocking. Most of them are terrible. And, yeah. and, well, see, using the word shocking, I actually find that most of these, um, and, and it's quite a lot of the reviewers say it themselves as well, is why was this taken off the shelf? Surely this is not offensive in any way. I mean, it's so obviously fake. You know, it's, and it's, it's so obviously terrible. It's like, how can this offend anybody? Some of them, of course, are slightly different. They're sort of like, eh. One guy actually, the, the guy that reviews uh, "I Spit on Your Grave" is hilarious because he 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 doesn't openly say that you know I can understand why it was targeted. He just he actually tries to then try to defend it <laughs> in an interesting way. And I and I kind of half agree. I mean, I, I spit on you very, very. I mean, very briefly, "I Spit on Your Grave." Um, it's, it's a revenge, a rape revenge fantasy film. Um, and he sort of he talks about sort of uh, the uh, you know the, the moral actions of the of the heroine and all that sort of stuff and and although i agree with it's not a bad thing to have that sort of subject i mean it's i mean these things these things happen in real life and should be discussed and you know that's fine and she and she does i i I cheer her on every step of the way my problem with the film is that the rape scenes and there are three of them are so obviously gratuitous it's like it's so obvious the director is sitting there going all right, you know, yeah. is, is the director is getting off on what is happening here, and, and, that, and, and that's which, my exact yeah. Which by then, to it. by then, by on reflection, makes us also complicit as the viewer. Mm. Um, and I would actually say nice better go, but I have seen you know the poster for it, yeah, which is you know of a which is showing a scantily clad 
Um, yeah, she's, women, she's her clothes. Her clothes has been ripped, and she's from behind, and it's behind, and she's bloody, and she's got a knife, and, and she's got a knife. Yeah, yeah, it's it's advertised. Focuses on her on her butt. Yeah, and it's you know the sexual gratuity is actually done yeah. there in the marketing right from the start. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so <coughs> this is not a review of Ice Cream Your Grave. Um, yeah. So so uh, although it's interesting, um, it's it's interesting in terms of historical I mean because mm. I lived through this uh, this period and so it's interesting in a historical sort of way and uh, I'm, I'm always good to, it's always good to see Kim Newman and, and uh, some of the other reviewers as well there's some actually quite uh, quite sort of prominent uh, reviewers in the film which and uh, um, so listen to them is, is is pretty cool and and to have all 72 then discussed in this two and three is is, uh, is bloody awesome but I just I, the documentary itself I just don't think is is the Really, all, is really all that good, mm. uh, but I. But in, but in, in saying that, if you have any interest in the video Nazis period of any kind, uh, check it out because it's it's a, it's a fascinating part of of history, uh, of, of film history. I've just had a look at the the list of the films. There's actually, honestly, not a lot on here that people would even know unless you were yeah. around at the time. They've all they've basically than, disappeared. Yeah, other than I spit on your grave, uh, last house on the left, and the Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's really, I mean, most of these films, people, I mean, who's really, who's seen the Gestapo's last orgy? Um, yeah, but you, you're, you're, that's, that's, that's you. you know? <laughs> I just heard of that Burt Reynolds one that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually since watching that documentary of, uh, have been trying to track down as many of these video analysis as I can to sort of watch them. Because, because like David said, I mean, those, those three, those three main ones that he mentioned, I've, I, of course, have already seen them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah but, uh. You know, the yeah. Beast in Heat, which is what I was watching this morning, is... Uh... <laughs> you've got the brilliantly named... So you've got bad. the brilliantly named Driller Killer, which yeah. I've always just... Not Driller Killer's film. awesome! Not a great film, but the title is fantastic. <laughs> it's a great film. The other but... one that um, people might know is uh, Cannibal Holocaust, because that's yeah. actually quite a notorious film. And Can- Cannibal Pharaoh. Yeah. Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. Yeah, Cannibal Holocaust, and, yeah, and Cannibal Pharaoh, and... Anyway, that's uh, Video Nasties, the documentary. Uh, I recommend it if you're uh, a fan of that sort of stuff. So let's uh, move on to Crystal's Fact or Foe. Okay, so for this edition of Fact or Foe, I am doing something I'm sure we'll all uh, get a little bit out of. It's, it's Donald Trump quotes. <laughs> now, I spent hours, well, half an hour, <laughs> scouring the internet for Donald Trump quotes, um, watching video footage of him, and I have to tell you, it's very scary that this man is a contender, serious contender for the President of the United States. Very scary. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Um... Let's just say there would have been a lot of quotes for you to choose from. So um, what we have here is uh, three quotes. Two of them are actual Donald Trump quotes. You have to pick the fake one. The first one, it's freezing and snowing in New York. We need global warming. (laughs) The second one, you know, it's moments like these when I realise what a superhero I am. And the third one, part of the beauty of me is that I'm really rich. See, the difficulty here is that Given all of the stupid things he has actually said, that's why I think it's a good one because he could yeah. have said all of these. Um, well, yeah, all, all of these would make sense. He's actually said all of these in different ways. That's what makes this actually hard. Mm. Um, 
Although it, it needs to be said, there is a lot of disinformation about Donald yeah. Trump quotes during the rounds at the moment as well. That's right. So um, that's why she actually watched the videos. Yeah, she actually watched yeah, the watched videos the yeah. to yeah. see yeah. he actually yeah. said them. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I did look at to see what the fake ones were yeah. too. So mind you, the fake ones actually work really well because they're not that far removed from the sort of stuff that's that he would true. say. And like what you presented us with here. So who would like to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, it's I think it's number three. Part of the beauty of me is that I, is that I'm really rich, even though it sounds it definitely sounds like something he would say. Um, I just think it's it's got that Facebook I quote I, about it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he would call himself beautiful. Like he's very homophobic, very manly man. That's, that's the thing that sort of strikes it sort of strikes me. I just, I just part of the beauty of me that the, I'm really rich bit mm. he says all the time. Yeah, it's the part of the beauty of me bit that sort of gets me. So I'm, I'm going with number three. Okay. All right. I'm going to go... I'm actually going to go with number one. I mean, I'm not entirely certain because these are all ludicrous and so therefore all well within the realms of possibility. Um, but it's, I actually think the part of the beauty of me is that I'm really rich is something he would definitely say. Right. Um, okay. And it might even... Honestly, because he had that... Remember he had that TV show as well? The The, the Apprentice? The Apprentice, yeah. Yeah, so that sounds like something he might say on that show as well. So. Right, okay. But I'm going to go with, you know, it's freezing and snowing in New York, even even though all three of these could be possible contenders. Right. Luke. Okay, number two um, is a legit one. He has actually said that. Um, I, I, mind you, that's my memory and then my, you know... Uh, if, uh, illness-induced brain uh, scan. I, I could actually be <laughs> completely making that one up. Um, so for me, it's either it's either between one or three, and it's actually damn hard because both of these sentiments, irrespective of you know whether they're fake or not, are actually sentiments he's expressed in other words. He actually has said, um, you know, I am really rich, and you know, it's that's that's what's great about me. He actually has said that in other words, um, and you know, he's actually not a proponent of climate change <laughs> at all. He's a he's a climate skeptic. Um, I'm prob- Denialist, please. Um, I'm probably going to lean with number one, but having said that, it is a very hard call. Okay. Well, I have to tell you. It's number two. Yes, it is number two. Cool. Um, number two. So number two is the fake one. Number two is the fake one. Number yeah. two is the one that says, "You know, it's moments like these when I realise what a super superhero I am." Now this is. Although it's not a Donald Trump quote, it is an actual quote. Bonus points if anyone can tell me who actually said it. Wow, someone actually said this. Um, Was it a politician? Was it Obama? No. No. Surely not. (laughs) No, he tries to play humble a little bit more than that. Yeah. No, no. No. Someone closer to your own hearts. Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not far off. It was Iron Man. It was it was Tony yeah, Stark. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I was close. I, I, I at least got into Tony Stark. Uh, I at least got into, into superhero territory. So I actually, did watch a cool BuzzFeed video, and they played a game where you had to guess whether it was the real billionaire or a fake billionaire who said it. And some other quotes were from um, Christian Grey, but that would be Tony Stark. <laughs> that's probably where I put, that's probably why it's familiar. Then that's why that's yeah. why I said it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so number one. I won. I swear. You won. <laughs> so if no one gets it, that means you actually win. I like that. That's good. That's a good way to play it. All right, cool. Well, that was very well done. Thank you. That was very cool. You are welcome. Bloody hard. Yes. 
Yes, because Bloody um, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump and his ability to say stupid things. I know, we laugh, all at, of the we time. laugh at Australian politics, politics, but American politics is just scary. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, though, we've just come off Tony Abbott. <laughs> and Tony Abbott has said as many dumb things as Donald Trump's. But at least he wasn't going to build a wall to keep the boat people out. <laughs> oh, he would have. He could. He okay. would have. He, he, he did. And make, and make them pay for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he may not have built a physical wall, but he certainly built a defence and then, you know, forced these people That's to That's not the same elsewhere. as a big physical wall, though, Dave. Yeah. It's close enough. And they're, and they're it's, making it's the, the same thing, And they're making the Mexicans, pay. the Mexicans will pay. Mark my words, he said. <laughs> they will pay. Hilarious. All right, let's uh, let's let's not end on politics. Let's, let's not do that. That's terrible. That's not what we're about. That's right. We're all about coming soon. We're about the nerdy stuff. And yes, we're not going soon. So uh, to be fair to Crystal, I was going to go with phrasing. Hang on wow. a second. I think we've just discovered Sleazy C. Sleazy C's in the house. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Next up, coming soon. Disgraceful. <laughs> yeah. In cinemas November 12th, we get Night of Cups. What? Which I've never, I wrote this actually a week ago, so now Night I've forgotten what it's a, about. Um, Tarot card. Yeah, it's a tarot card, but it's, oh. it's the movie itself is. It's not brass. Lights. I think it's like a romantic comedy or something. I don't know. I can't remember. Who cares? Secret in their eyes. Again, who cares? Because this same week you also get the return of James Bond, Inspector. And that's really the film that you know <laughs> that we go see. So, so I apologise to Knight of Cups and Secret. Oh no, Knight of Cups. Christian Bale. Yeah. Christian Bale's in that. Yeah, 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 that's why I remember it. So I'm assuming it's therefore not a romantic comedy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it actually is something to do with romantic comedy. I'm pretty sure it is Christian Bale attempting a romantic comedy. Oh dear. Maybe not a comedy, but at least romance. This yeah. could go horribly, like horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, uh, Spe- and, and Spectre. So, which, yeah, the reviews are in. And, hmm, I'm I've heard the song. It's a terrible song. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's very Bondy. Mm. It's it's no live and let die, but it's it's passable. He does do a bit of that wobbly. It's incredibly stuff. boring. I don't think. But I don't think he's got a good voice, Sam Smith. At yeah. least not for, not for. Bo- he not has for an interesting thing where he kind of does a, a a falsetto, but at the same time not. It's weird, and that's why I don't think it works for a Bond song. Yeah, mm. we'll talk about it when we all we'll see, see what Spectre. the sequence looks like. Have you not listened to the song? I I I've never heard of Sam. Sam Smith? Yeah. Never heard a Sam Smith song in my life. Right, okay. So, <laughs> cool. And no, I, I don't really bother to listen to the Bond songs until I'm actually watching the movies. Yeah. I've just caught it on the Graham Norton mm. show. Right. But I think sometimes, especially with things like the Bond songs, sometimes they actually, they work better in the context of the film that they're in, or the yeah. film they're representing, as opposed to just standalone songs, so I prefer to hear it that way. That's a fair point. Well, he did, he did have the script to work off. Yeah, apparently. yeah, yeah. Cool, anyway, we'll be checking it out, uh, but that's the end of uh, episode 168. The end? Yes. <laughs> There's a Mr. Death. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and it is the salmon moose that kills them, and it's red, so it's the red yeah. death. It was pink, I, actually. Pink. Yeah, yeah. I tried. <laughs> it's like but a pinkish grey. I the salmon moose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it for me and the crew, Richo. He says he's a reaper. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Oh, I'm so terribly, so terribly embarrassed. <laughs> and Crystal. And the beauty of me is I'm not so rich. But you are a sleazy, as we've discovered. <laughs> sleazy C. Bye. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. 
If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.